0: to episode two of fast facts with your host karen and as well my lovely guest carrie (laughs) yeah we have to make that distinction very clear because we used to be roommates and we were right next to each other in terms of the rooms in the house so it was karen and carrie we'll try not to say our names in this podcast just for listeners sake but yeah so today we're going to be diving in to the life of tim burton And no better co host than my friend Carrie, because as like me, she is fond of spooky things. So I thought she'd be great to incorporate in this podcast. So go ahead, Carrie, give us a little introduction of your cute self.
1: (laughs) I'm Carrie. I met Karen in my last semester of college, and we were roommates for. And they were roommates. And they were roommates, kind of like a year. I lived there kind of the second semester, but we'll say a year. I now live in Michigan, which brings me to my little fast fact of uh, if you picture the state of Michigan and you know how there's the main part and then that kind of random upper part that's connected to Wisconsin that most people don't really know about, it's called the Upper Peninsula. And the reason why Michigan has that is because there was a dispute with Ohio over who was going to get Toledo, like the area of toledo right and Ohio was like we'll take toledo you can have the upper peninsula uh jokes on them because nothing's really happening in toledo i'm sure there are things that happen there but there are more resources and there's more yeah basically the upper peninsula is where the little bit more than toledo was so michigan kind of won that battle (laughs) and that's why we have the upper peninsula or as michiganders call it the up
0: michiganders that's a term that i've never heard of in my life yeah you're a full-on michigan woman now because earlier before we were recording this podcast i caught her saying a word with her little new michigan accent what was it it was it was boots ah, boots. so us californians we would say boots right just like very short clean to the point i caught her saying boots (laughs)
1: I don't think I said it
0: like that you really did and I think it's funny because I'm the only one who caught it I feel like you make fun of yourself all the time so the fact that I had to say it for you to notice it is because you didn't know you said it so I mean it's all fun and jokes here I'm pretty sure that other people who are from other states right now are making fun of my California accent (laughs) so thank you for that fast fact I did not know about that whole debate about Toledo and Michigan and all that so thanks for informing my listeners anytime. All right, so without further ado, let's do a little introduction to the life of Tim Burton. So I thought I would start off with kind of just giving a little introduction to his early life before I dive into all the fast facts. So he was born August 25th, 1958 in Burbank, California. So he actually grew up in LA, which I didn't think that. I kind of pictured him to be growing up in like a Moody, cloudy type of forestry area, but the fact that he grew up in Burbank is (laughs) very plain and sunny. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I kind of pictured him to be also a Michigan man, honestly, because Michigan experiences all four seasons and we don't.
1: I mean, really though. Yeah, I guess I kind of assumed that he might be from somewhere that is a little bit more not much going on. So let's make up all of these creative monsters and whatnot.
0: No, I agree. Most of these directors and producers, when they come up with their ideas, it's because they literally grow up in a boring, not fast-paced environment. So like their creative thought is able to flourish and that's where they get all their cool ideas. But though, I mean, I'm not trying to hate on his upbringing because his upbringing is what I love most about him because it made him the director, producer that he is. He attended California Institute of the arts in the late 70s
1: he to cal arts
0: yeah he did he went to cal arts
1: one of my best friends just started grad school there
0: i also went to a party at cal arts once before <laughs> but it, it's not like a party like rage like oh my god crazy it was more so of a wine and art party so what you did is that you went to the art gallery or like the art studio that they have and there was people painting and had like their canvases and everything and there was wine and cheese so it was it was very nice but I feel like a lot of the students were kind of just doing their own thing. And like, you could clearly tell I wasn't a Art student. Everyone was like super artistic, into thought and everything. And I was just kind of there like, what do I do here? Like, hello.
1: Art kids are definitely like a different breed of human. We're very strange.
0: <laughs>
1: the best kind of strange.
0: No, 100%. You are an art student. What was your official title of your major when you graduated?
1: My major is called Media Arts and Practice in the film school. Um, But I also studied advertising, and now what I do is multimedia design. So anything that has to do with design, kind of digitally speaking, is what I do. So not so much fine arts, which I admire because I think it's so fascinating, but I have no fine art skills. (laughs) Like, so, but yeah, the art world definitely, I feel like, goes hand in hand with spooky and horror genre
0: yeah going off that he spent most of his childhood uh, mostly in solitary so he was he was a very introverted type of child who liked to stay in his room draw cartoons, watch old movies, specifically old horror and monster movies. Like he was a fan of Frankenstein, which influenced one of his movies, Frankenweenie, where that dog comes back to life. And he also loves Vincent Price movies. Vincent Price is a director of a bunch of horror and monster movies back in the day. And he loves those. And he, in a lot of his interviews, he mentioned his role model.
1: Wasn't he in Edward Scissorhands? He got him cast for Edward Scissorhands creator.
0: Oh, he did. Yes. Yeah, Vincent Price. So that was like one of Tim Burton's big accomplishments was to work with one of his mentors, heroes, I guess you could say in the sense. Um, He's a Virgo. That's a star sign. I thought that was very important to include.
1: (laughs) Yes, obviously.
0: I personally am gonna admit that I'm not really into reading about the star signs. Like, I think it's interesting, like, don't get me wrong, but I don't take time out of my day to dive in to see what my star sign is today for october 23rd
1: as we're recording this podcast
0: but i'm a scorpio it's all i know
1: there's a lot like i thought at first it was just oh your sun sign but then i learned there's your rising sign and your moon sign there's so much going on i have an app that i use
0: i read like the overall sign i know that scorpios are known to being passionate loyal but they can be like stubborn Uh, he's a virgo tim burton's a virgo if anyone wanted to know so do what what you will with that, because I know everyone has their opinions about Virgos. I heard Virgos actually a pretty good sign.
1: Yeah, my sister's a Virgo.
0: <laughs> is she good? Is she great?
1: Oh, she's the best.
0: Oh, see? There you go. And you're only saying that because this is going to go on the internet.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Katie, if you're listening to this.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I love you. On record, Carrie's telling you you're a great sister. <laughs>
1: <laughs> It'll live forever that I said my sister is the best.
0: Yeah. All right. Okay. Back to Burton. Next fact of his early childhood is that he was, of course, different than other kids he grew up with. He would actually stay inside classrooms while all the other kids went out to recess and enjoyed, like, the outdoors, but he he enjoyed being inside, actually hanging out with his art teacher because he was, like, I think in the sixth grade, and he just enjoyed drawing on canvases, painting, but what his teacher would describe his sketch drawings as, and I quote, ghastly creatures and mysterious figures, end quote. So that's pretty interesting how she described
1: it. Pretty on brand for Tim Burton now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's, it's honestly pretty cool because to come think of it, a lot of his sketches that he drew as a child actually ended up being in his movies. Of course, like there was tweaks and there was like probably fixing imperfections and all that, but a lot of his sketches came out to be in his movies like years later so I think that's like really cool that it rooted up from his original drawings so his teacher in grade school Doris Adams she's mostly the reason why he pursued art and just being more involved in his creative side as a young kid and then it progressed to him you know directing producing sketches for movies and stuff so thank you Doris because without you we probably would have never gotten these iconic Halloween movies.
1: <laughs> Spooky movies.
0: Yeah. So then that dives into our first fast fact, which is Burton worked with Disney, but ultimately Disney turned him down in the first place. So the first movie he worked on was Disney's Black Cauldron in 1985. Have you watched that movie?
1: No, but it's been on my watch list for longer than it should be. So
0: basically the reason why he was turned down by Disney was because when he started creating drawings for this movie, Disney deemed it as too dark for children. Considering that a lot of Disney movies that did not involve Tim Burton were actually pretty dark, I'm not going to say which ones because I don't want to call out Disney like that because this is not Mm -hmm. what we're going to be doing in this podcast. But I noticed that he mentioned that he wasn't able to produce any more sketches with this movie just because Disney deemed it to be too dark and... He actually drew about 200 concept drawings for this movie, but none of them were chosen. So he, so he ended up getting fired for that movie. (laughs) Yeah.
1: The audacity.
0: The audacity to turn down Tim Burton. Well, this is before when he was like big and famous. This is probably one of his first projects, but it's just, it's just interesting because, you know, later in this podcast, you'll find out that Disney actually called him to come back. So when he got all big and famous mm-hmm after that he decided to work on two passion projects called disney's vincent and frankenweenie so disney basically fired him from that black cauldron project but they allowed him to do two more passion projects because they, they knew that he was artistic but he, they just didn't want him for that movie because it was too dark the way he was kind of gearing it towards so they kind of moved him on like hey like create two more passion projects and then we'll figure out if we want to work with you in the long run
1: So it's like they put him on the back burner just in case he turned out some successful movies, which obviously he did.
0: Mm -hmm. So this is where Frankenweenie actually came from. Vincent and and Frankenweenie. Vincent was about a seven-year-old boy, had like an imaginative mind with horror and basically Tim Burton at a seven-year-old age as well. And this boy was obsessed with Edgar Allan Poe, so he would create all these drawings about Edgar's poems and all that and for Frankenweenie of course you know we have that movie now in today's existence but back then it was actually a live action film about a boy whose dog dies tragically so he tries to bring it back to life which is the same plot as the movie came out a few years ago however Disney thought these passion projects were also too dark <laughs> considering the plot which is actually kind of true because Edgar Allan Poe's poems can be pretty uh What's the word? Dark. Dark. (laughs) I feel like I've used the word dark so many times.
1: Dark and disturbing.
0: Dark and disturbing to say the least. So he was fired for, quote, wasting their time and resources, end quote.
1: The audacity!
0: I know! (laughs)
1: Dare they do my man Tim like that?
0: Exactly. My boy Burton, man. He couldn't catch a break. That sucks because he's so creative, but there wasn't any type of industry yet for his imaginative and creative mind. Like his aesthetic wasn't really accepted just yet in those type of days. So it wasn't until later that in the future he'd be recognized as someone like, okay, he's different. This is great. This is something that we need in Hollywood, you know. Fast number two the phrase to describe his style of movies is the German expressionism. Have you heard that before? Mm-mm. I haven't. I didn't either. So, German expressionism is a gothic style. You can already tell that it's 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 Burton. Oh yeah. Gothic style that began back in the 1920s by German filmmakers before the First World War to reject the cinematic realism. So, back then, what I was reading and doing my research about this is that back then Germany was getting rejected by a lot of filmmakers like because since it was before the First World War, Germany's films weren't getting as popular as other countries' films, so they decided to add a twist to it mm. and make themselves kind of stand out from the rest of the countries. Expressionistic films showcase dramatic revolutionary interpretations of human condition. So you notice a lot of Tim Burton characters, their eyes are huge, their their cheekbones are elevated, their their overall type of characteristics about them are just elevated and more enhanced so that kind of goes back to this type of gothic style
1: oh that's interesting yeah there's like a (laughs) not to be that person there's a trend on tiktok right now where there's like a filter or something and people are doing the tim burton trend where it's like they pull their eyes down and it like freezes and then they like do that thing with their cheeks
0: Oh, I saw that. Yeah.
1: I love it because obviously I, I love anything that recognizes Tim Burton and his talents, but I'm like, this is great that this is a trend right now.
0: I know, exactly. And I think I've seen it actually a couple of videos and some people are really good at it, but some people are, are they lag too much. So some of their fingers holding their face get into the picture and it gets way more creepier than it needs to be. <laughs> but yeah, so that's basically the aesthetic of Tim Burton films. For example... Tim Burton, actually, like, since I mentioned he loves old horror movies and monster movies, he generally reflects back a lot to the German film Nosferatu. I can't say it. I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. Do you know that? That's the vampire movie from, like, back in the day. Like, Nosferatu. No. It's basically a... It's, like, one of the first ever horror films about a vampire who goes out and kills people and all that
1: stuff. You never heard of it? No. (laughs) (laughs) i haven't well basically
0: the whole aesthetic of the film that it's creepy there's dark lighting there's scary shadows in the background and as well distorted props and buildings the last part distorted props and buildings that is so tim burton
1: oh absolutely
0: yeah like you know in the movie nightmare before christmas like all the buildings are shaped weird as well as edward
1: scissorhands Mm, yeah and corpse bride
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's definitely a big influence on his movies and it shows 100%. Alright, fast fact number three. These are all his movies and I'm going to list them and then after I'm going to ask you which ones are your top five. If you've seen up to five. If not, maybe three. Also these are ranked by a certain, I think it's IMDB that I chose it from because I think that's like the most credible source that I could get critics ranks of these movies. But, I mean, don't come after me because I didn't rank these, okay? I got them from the internet. (laughs) So Starting from the best to the worst, we have Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Frank and Weenie, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, Corpse Bride, Beetlejuice, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Batman Returns, Big Fish, Big Eyes, Batman, Sleepy Hollow, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, Mars Attacks, Alice in Wonderland, Dumbo, Planet of the Apes, and Dark Shadows. So which ones are your top five? Or top three? I mean, I don't know. I can't just assume that you watched all of these because these are a lot.
1: Definitely Edward Scissorhands is one of my first favorites, I think, of Tim Burton's. Nightmare Before Christmas always has to be in that list. Corpse Bride, Frankenweenie. I think that's just because I really like like stop-motion animation or like stop-motion like claymation i find it so fascinating yeah and i think that's one of tim burton's more recognized styles for films that he's done or worked on i've suddenly already forgotten all of the ones that you've listed alice in wonderland was good but it like it was all over the place it
0: really was
1: and like <laughs> It was good, but I'm also, it's not one of my favorite movies, like Alice in Wonderland in general, so I have friends who love that movie. What other ones did you list? Miss
0: Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children.
1: I really like that one. I
0: haven't seen it. I know, I'm such a fake Tim Burton fan right now, but I haven't seen it. And it's only reason is because I can't find it anywhere. I can't find it on any streaming type of lines or whatever. Like, I can't find it on Netflix or Hulu.
1: It might be on Amazon Prime. Don't quote me on that because I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, my top favorites, I, I'm going to try to say five, but I feel like it's a safer bet for top three, considering that these are like my all time will watch every single Halloween. Number one, Nightmare Before Christmas, because it's an oldie but a goodie. I think my second one would have to be Corpse Bride. And the third one, ooh, this is hard. I don't know how you did this, actually. <laughs> I think I would choose... Dang, I can't choose between either Alice in Wonderland or Beetlejuice. Because Beetlejuice is funny to me. Because I'm, like, that quirky, funny, weird, semi-morbid person. So, like, I feel like it relates to that movie. But I, I love the aesthetics in Alice in Wonderland. Like, the way he changed it to be so, so Burton. Just so Burton of him. That's what I think. But I think I'm going to have to go with... I'm going to have to go with my Alice in Wonderland. It's the aesthetics for me. That's what it is.
1: It's the aesthetics for me. <laughs> it
0: really is. So, um, mm. and yeah. So, the Claymation, though, is what I love about his movies because they're so unique. And that's why I love The Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride because I think they do such a good job. And as well, you could see that in The Corpse Bride, he learned a lot after creating The Nightmare Before Christmas because... You can see that there was more detail into Corpse Bride. Like, the characters, the the colors are more vibrant. The details and, like, the indentations of the clay when they're creating it. And just, like, the overall CG of the entire film is just a lot better because it's, like, six years difference. I don't know if you've noticed.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, the quality. um, Because I really don't know what kind of movies were using Claymation before Nightmare Before Christmas. Obviously, there were movies that were done but if that was more of Tim Burton's first claymation or like stop-motion animation film then obviously it's going to be kind of like a a test run and then anything after that is going to be a lot better because then you learn what works what doesn't work but that goes for like any sort of artistic technique
0: yeah exactly You can definitely see that in his films throughout the years, his creativity and not not only his creativity, but as well as the production of films just get better and better. Mm -hmm. And the music. So the next fast fact for is that he always had a specific choice of music in his movies. And you can definitely tell in like Edward Scissorhands. Beetlejuice, Nightmare Before Christmas, of course, the iconic songs, all of them like just the orchestra and the the instruments used are just so iconic. (laughs) And I love it. And then so his music guy was Danny Elfman, I think I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And it's mostly where you can recognize the music. If you guys go watch the beginnings of Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, just like the overall introductions of movies, they just kind of pan over the, the setting of the movie and then they have that music in the background playing it's so so iconic so Burtonesque of him
1: <laughs> so Burton of him
0: so Burton
1: it's a verb now
0: <laughs> hello listeners it's Editing Karen and I just realized Carrie and I do not know the difference between a verb and an adjective um, I think we meant to say adjective not verb so yeah Carrie and I are going to be going back to the fourth grade and learning our verbs and adjectives so okay all right enjoy listening the rest of the podcast all right so then fast fact number five for all his films he's only been credited for story and characters so he never gets recognized as a producer but like literally the film would not be iconic as it is without Burton in it so I was like that's interesting you know
1: Right. Maybe that's a personal choice of his. I don't know.
0: It might be. That's very true. But, I mean, it kind of makes sense because, yes, he is a big part of the film, but as well as the film will not exist without screenwriters and storytellers and other pieces of dialogue because, yeah, he is the aesthetic, but you can't make a film without a screenplay. Right. Dialogue and all that. So, I mean, I understand that portion of it. Hi, listeners. It's Karen again. And I just wanted to go back really quick to what I was saying. When I was researching about Tim Burton not being recognized as a director or producer for films, it's only for some films because he chooses it that way. Sometimes he wants to work with a director or producer, sometimes he doesn't. So most of the time he gets recognized for story and characters and sometimes he does get recognized for both, for director, producer. And for characters, so I just wanted to clear that up. So don't come for me, okay? All right, sounds good. Okay, have a beautiful day. All right, so then the next one, fast fact number six. So this more dives into his relationships between Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. I might be butchering her name, I'm so sorry, but yes, the relationships between those two characters because if you've noticed, Johnny Depp and Helena are all, not all his movies, but they're in most of his movies. And is the reason because Burton says that those two characters just understand him. He says that him, Depp, and Carter all share an unwritten language, which means that they just know what he's thinking, they know his vision, they know his style, they know also his minimalistic language, which makes it easy for him to produce movies and to get the aesthetic and the, the language of characters. And I mean, if you work so well with these kind of actors... Of course, you're gonna want them to come back and do your other films,
1: right? You know I mean? And aren't they like typically the leads in all of his movies? Even like even if it's just being a voice actor, they're mm-hmm. typically the lead.
0: Yeah, because if you notice in the Claymations, like Corpse Bride, it's it's Johnny Depp as the main character of Vincent, and then for Emily is Helena. So you could definitely tell by the, their voices and their appearances are so iconic in all of Burton movies that you immediately know that who who's playing them. Also, this is a little fact within a fast fact. Helena and Tim Burton were together for like a long time. <laughs> they had like a romantic relationship and they had two kids. So their relation, yeah, they had two kids. They have two kids together. I knew
1: about the relationship. I didn't know about the kids.
0: Yeah, their relationship lasted from 2001 to 2014. And their children now I think are probably like in their teens. Like they're late teens, so that makes me feel pretty old because I remember being a child and watching Corpse Bride, and that was like 2005. (laughs) So I think that's when their kids were born.
1: (laughs) I knew about their relationship, I didn't know about them having kids. Something that I thought for the longest time until I looked it up, and then obviously. You gave me more information before we started doing this. I think because of the style and because of the type of movie that it is, most people think that Coraline is a Tim Burton movie.
0: Yes! Oh my-
1: I, I knew after looking it up years ago that it's a Henry Selleck movie, but I always thought that Tim Burton was one of the producers on the movie. But apparently he has absolutely nothing to do with Coraline, and I'm just like how because that's my favorite movie of all time I can quote the entire movie without watching it it's I have it tattooed on my body I'm about I'm gonna be Coraline for Halloween it's just like (laughs) I'm like the number one fan but I always thought Tim Burton had something to do with the production of the movie but what it what was it that you told me
0: yeah so a lot of people think that Coraline is a Tim Burton film but actually it's not it has nothing to do with Tim Burton the only thing that I, I could probably say that it does have to do with Tim Burton is that the producers the the clay makers of Coraline the film were inspired by Tim Burton's movies so they under they kind of took on that aesthetic and they they were influenced by Tim Burton's characters they shaped the movie to look like a Tim Burton film because they just enjoyed Tim Burton's film so much and the aesthetic of it so I was just as shocked as you because all my life I've been living with a lie thinking that Tim Burton was involved in that film but he actually wasn't
1: yeah I think it's also because it's like pretty creepy to be a kid's movie and I think that's one of the main aspects of Tim Burton's movies at least the ones that are animated are like oh this is kind of too creepy to be a children's movie what the heck and I don't know specifically, I probably should know, but I don't know if Tim Burton's animated movies are claymation or if they're just puppets, because I do know that Coraline is made with puppets and not clay.
0: Yeah, so that might be one distinct difference between Tim Burton's films and whoever wrote Coraline. I'm sorry, I think you mentioned it, but I already forgot.
1: Henry Selick is the yeah. director.
0: Yeah, and you can tell if you watch a Tim Burton movie on one side and then you watch Coraline on the right you could tell there's a little bit of difference but they they do look very similar and right. that aspect of like creepy because watching that as a child I got so scared of her other mother what was her name like her actual name it was
1: like a Beldam.
0: yeah that's so creepy and like the room that Coraline gets thrown into with all the other ghost children all right okay enough about Coraline because like we mentioned probably a hundred times already, we, uh,
1: we acknowledge that Tim Burton did not have anything to do with that movie.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
1: All right, wait, I have one more thing. I'm sorry. No, go for it. Did you know that there is a Tim Burton themed bar in New York and in Los Angeles?
0: I knew about the one in LA, but not the New York one, but I've been wanting to go so bad. And like when we both lived in LA, We could have went, but we never did. And I hate ourselves for that.
1: The one in New York is the original one. And then I know that the one in LA, because I've been to that one twice, it was supposed to just be a pop-up, but I think it is a permanent location now there. And I I feel like they're trying to make more locations, but it's so interesting because it's a restaurant and bar. Oh. It's just like fascinating because when you see it, Just from the street, it's like, oh, it's just a building. But then as soon as you walk in, it feels like you're going into a completely different world. It feels like you're literally walking into Halloween. You walk into the bar and there's like seating and there's decorations and there's artwork that people have done. And the main, I think the main theme of it is based on Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice.
0: Yes, I've seen pictures online on like Yelp that it shows the bar from the inside and they have all these decorations from those two movies as well as, I think they have like some easter eggs of other movies in the bar, I might be wrong, but I I saw people were like commenting on that.
1: Yeah, and they also in the restaurant and in the bar, Uh, obviously they kind of wander, but they have actors that are dressed up as characters from the movies walking around and interacting with you. So that's part of what you pay for when you go into the restaurant is the people who are dressed up as these characters and they're so well dressed up, it looks like they are actually the characters. Cause when I went the first time, I remember my best friend that I went with, we took a picture with Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. And there was also a Willy Wonka walking around and they looked, Like they were from the movie. It was so crazy. This is my favorite place on earth.
0: (laughs) Well, also to work there, you have to be like a Burton Stan. Like you have to know the movies. You have to act like the characters. So I understand in that sense. That's awesome. I really want to go. But I mean, the whole pandemic is kind of getting in the way of me doing a lot of things.
1: But when you do have a chance to go, I highly recommend it. It is so much fun.
0: We'll both go. And we'll both kind of just... Enjoy the experience together. Absolutely. All right. I just have a few more fast facts. Fast fact number eight. Have you noticed the imagery of dead dogs in his movies?
1: The three that come to mind are Frankenweenie, obviously, and then Nightmare Before Christmas with Zero, and then Corpse Bride with Scraps.
0: Yes. I kind of didn't really do that much of a research on this because this is more so a fact that that I've noticed in the films. Yes. So there's Frankenweenie. There's scraps from Corpse Bride, and then there's Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas. So there's a whole backstory that I read on Reddit (laughs) that I thought I'd share because I thought it was interesting. Basically, these dead dogs are somewhat of a memory of Burton's childhood because he had a dog growing up that he loved, and like it was mostly a dog that he hung out with since, like I mentioned, always into like Himself and his drawings, and very, very lonely. So, the dog growing up was his like best friend. So, I feel like he kind of stemmed this into his creative work and his movies. And, Frank and Weenie, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast was one of his first passion projects because of his relation to his dog. Every boy, every child, their wish is to bring their dog back, back from the dead after they die a tragic death or a sudden death. Right. He definitely displays that in his movies, which I think is very interesting. And I love, like, time and time and again, Burton always just brings his personal life into his films. All right, so let's see here. Fast fact number, I don't even know what number we're on, to be honest. I'm just going to call them fast facts. Frankenweenie, come back. Okay, we love a good comeback. So Burton was starting to become more successful in his unique style in Hollywood. So Disney finally decided to release his live action film, Frankenweenie. Back in the day in the 80s, it was a live action, black and white, super creepy. But they decided to create the film more so appealing to children. So they did a claymation version of it. That's a 2010 version, and it's like a full movie, full hour and a half, I think, or an hour and like 40 minutes, but in 1992, they also created like a 30-minute short. That one's live action. That one's in black and white. It's about a kid trying to revive his dog from the dead, you know, the same plot, but I thought that was pretty interesting that Disney came back for Burton after he was successful, after he was thriving, doing well, rising in Hollywood, so Disney... I'm coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) I've watched Frank and Weenie probably like twice. I honestly, I it's good. It's not my top three, like I mentioned, but it's good. I
1: think it's cute. I don't know. I just, I love watching it. I put a clip of it in one archival remix project I did in college.
0: Really? What? That's cool.
1: Theme of the class was Frankenstein. So I was like, I have to include this clip from Frank and Weenie. The theme of my project has nothing to do with Tim Burton, but I- Uh immediately thought because we were supposed to take clips like remix clips of videos that we found on the internet and immediately i was like i have to include Frank and Weenie. how could i not if it's about frankenstein like i have to
0: it's very burton-esque of you too to include it into your projects
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: yeah all right so last but not least and this is more so just like a fun fast fact the burton story twitter account have you heard of this
1: I'm not on Twitter, so I have not heard of it. Hmm. But I probably should have, being the big Burton fan that I am.
0: That's not burton
1: Take that back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the Burton story is a Twitter account, and this is what it basically is. The account's purpose is to allow followers to contribute to Burton's short films of Stain Boy. Have you heard of his little short films? It's like this kind of simple, creepy drawn in, like, five-minute production of Stain Boy, which is, like, a young boy going through it in life, and, like, there's other characters, and it's it's a very simple storyline, but it got really popular online. And the reason why it's popular on Twitter and with his followers is because Burton will go through tweets of that Twitter account, and he'll base off his next short film off of the lines or the the ideas of his Twitter followers. Like, for example... If a Twitter follower tweeted onto his account saying like, "Hey, like the next short short film of Stainboy, can you make sure that he finds a new character or he goes on this X Y Z adventure?" And then if Burton thinks it's a good idea, then he'll incorporate that idea into his next short film of Stainboy.
1: That's so interesting.
0: Isn't that cool? So it's like it's it's Burton getting to evolve his Burton fans into his like you know creative stories. I think he enjoys talking to his fans and seeing what ideas people like people have out there like that he's not alone that there's other creative people like himself that support him and want to work with him. I don't know I think that's really cool.
1: I love that. I think also another way to look at that is he knows you know obviously from his childhood what it was like to not really have people like him around him or growing up with people who thought like him or were different like him so he wants to be that person to all these younger people or older people who may feel the same way so that way they don't feel alone and he can help build this community which i think is really awesome
0: yeah exactly and over the years burton has created a huge community he's a well-known producer, director, character, creator. When you see the name Tim Burton people will be like oh yeah I know who that is and they could probably name like five movies right off the bat. And also there's a website that you can go on and it's like an interactive website that you can create your own little short film. Basically putting your mouse cursor onto the screen and moving a little figure a stain boy and like you can make him go into rooms and and hallways and have a little adventure with stain boiling.
1: I like it. That's fun. I did not know about that.
0: Yeah, those are all the fast facts. And also, I found the most interesting facts that I found pretty cool. So if anyone comes for me, it will be like, you forgot this part. It's not because I didn't want to include it. It's because I just picked the facts that I found the most easy to describe in a podcast without making this podcast be like two hours long.
1: Well, we're pushing an hour, so...
0: (laughs) Well, this is the unedited version, but that's the reason why I chose these facts. Well, that's it. That is the final ending of episode two of The Life of Tim Burton with Carrie Newbrand thank you so much for coming to my podcast my first ever collab with somebody of course any day all right that's fast facts bye